What is going on, everybody? And welcome to this week's podcast, uh, Clear the Shelf with Chris and Chris. Uh, thanks for, to my co-host for showing up yet another week. I'm always kind of waiting for the day that uh, I'm here waiting. And uh, and you're like, you know what? I think I'm out. I'm, I'm, I've seen your face enough and uh, we're going to we're going to stop doing this thing. So thanks for showing up again, man. How how's your week been? Uh, my week's good. I'm actually I never leave. I just I'm here when you turn the camera back on. I'm, I'm hoping you show up another week. So I, I just leave my camera running and, and talk to myself when you're not around. But uh, no, my week's good. Um, we had a uh, funny story real quick. Uh, well, all right. We'll stop right here. We can't go any further uh, with these podcasts uh, until we address the elephant in the room. Um, and I need to I need to acknowledge and and sarcastically thank you for the, the heat that I've been taking for my the thumbnail picture of me that you chose uh, of my uh, the, the glorious lip curtain uh, that I have going on. Um, I'm catching some serious heat. So uh, thank you for that uh, sarcastic golf clap. Yeah, um, that's uh, now it, to be fair, I'll, I, I will admit it is it is mostly my fault. Uh, because I, I missed a deadline uh, you, before you were getting ready to, to post the graphic. I, I didn't get a picture to you. So uh, you were left to your own devices. I so was. And I will be honest, the only the only reason I chose that picture was to make it easy on me and not have to crop out a person from a Facebook photo and only have to remove the background of that Facebook photo. So it was sheer laziness and uh, and there was no ill intent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could have at least cropped out the the mustache, man. But uh, <laughs> that's fine. But uh, you know, I, I uh, obviously I'm not in a hurry to replace it because uh, it's still there. My uh, my beach bod is is uh, taking a little bit longer uh, than um, than I expected. So I think I went with the the bikini wax a little bit before uh, a little bit too soon. So that um, that happens. It you know it's amazing now that uh, you know at our age or ages. Um, that the weight doesn't fall off like it once did. And it's a tad frustrating. Yes. I, I could watch somebody else eat and gain weight at the, at my age. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, and a, a side note about the, uh, the mustache picture and, and the heat that I've been taking is um, a little bit of advice for people. Uh, you, you really have to kind of be careful when you accuse someone of looking like a seventies porn star. Um, if not done right, it is a bit self-incriminating. So it's that is to consider. absolutely true. So I think we've got a really great topic this week. Uh, and it's, it's a hot button issue in the Amazon community. Uh, price tanking. Is it a pandemic or is there some possibility? And I think those are the things we're going to dive into tonight. It should be, should be interesting. I've got some, what I think are probably going to be hot takes and I think this is going to be popular because I threw out in our Discord group and in Facebook, and I said, "Hey, what what kind of questions do you have about price tanking?" Uh, and I was surprised at the number of people who responded. So uh, I would imagine that uh, if we do this thing right, uh, there's going to be uh, quite a few people who are interested in hearing what we've got to say about this. But before we get to that. I want to talk about a little bit of news that I found that was interesting this week. Uh, if you're not familiar with Marketplace Pulse, uh, Marketplace Pulse, they write fantastic articles 
about e-commerce. Uh, 90% of it's Amazon. They do bring in Walmart and eBay every now and again, but most of it is Amazon and e-commerce related. And they just said that consumer spending through e-commerce is approaching a $1 trillion annual run rate. So trillion with a T, uh, which is massive. Now, they said that despite only a slight increase in the market share, the e-commerce market has almost doubled in the past three years. Sales over the past 12 months reached $975 billion. Three years ago, the annualized run rate of e-commerce was $518 billion. And just 10 years ago, it was only $208 billion. Now, what's fascinating about this is that had the pandemic not happened and, and COVID been around, uh, e-commerce was growing at about 14 to 15% per year. Uh, and the annualized run rate today would be about $780 billion, uh, which is, is smaller, but still a formidable number. Uh, however, there was a huge bump. But down at the very end of the article, they bring up something that I found even more fascinating. So in the last quarter, 14% of consumer spending happened on e-commerce. And that excludes retail categories like restaurants, car dealers, gas stations. Uh, and the total of e-commerce represented 21% of retail. So more than a dollar out of every $5 spent on retail is through e-commerce. Now, what really interested me about this is that 21% mark. I don't, I, you may or may not remember, but I've talked about verticals on Amazon, like the grocery vertical and some other verticals. And, and they, the growth curve seems to hockey stick at a very particular number. And that number is 20%. So e-commerce has hit that 20% mark. And I know that it seems silly to think that e-commerce could continue to grow but I think that we're kind of at the forefront of a rocket ship. Uh, we've talked about in the past how there's an estimated 50,000 or more retail stores that are going to close in the next five years. Uh, we know that it's much, much simpler to just buy online. The ease at which you can get your packages here where I am, I can get them same day for a lot of things. I would say I would say 20% of the things that I order on a regular basis, I can have to my house same day. So the penetration or the, the hurdle of people having to wait and not just being able to drive to Target is, uh, is getting smaller. And, uh, and people are also just, they've become used to going to Amazon. 67% of product searches start on Amazon. So I know it seems like there's not much more juice to be squeezed out of this lemon, uh, but I think that there really is. And I think over the next five years, we're going to see some massive growth and hopefully with that massive opportunity for Amazon sellers. Those are some serious numbers. Um, you know, and I've seen it in my own family, you know, people who never before would have uh, uh, shopped online. You know, especially for the things that they, they started buying, you know, especially groceries and, and, and whatnot. You know, it, it kind of forced the issue on a bunch of people. It it, it grew the, its own market, 
you know, the pandemic grew the market for e-commerce, you know, simply because people uh, found it safer, you know, to have their stuff dropped on their doorstep. And, mm-hmm. and then every, you know, most of the stores adapted, you know, with the, the buy, uh, the buy online, pick up in store, the BOPUS model uh, that we've talked about before, um, you know, curbside pickup, all that stuff, you know, they, they adapted very quickly. Um, so yeah, these, these numbers are huge, but not surprising, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be an interesting time over the next uh, couple of years just to, to see how this goes. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be in this space because I, I, I find it fascinating, uh, especially with the growth and where I think things can still go. Uh, now I guess we probably shouldn't keep, keep you guys waiting any longer. We're going to start talking about price tanking. And like we said before, I know this is a hot button issue. It gets people hot under the collars. Uh, I see all the time when price tanking is brought up that uh, so-and-so is to blame or such a service is to blame or this guru or that TikTok video is to blame. And I don't think so. I, I, am, I am firmly in the camp that it is not, there's not a finger to be pointed at one particular person. Uh, and, and we'll get into that. We'll get into the invisible hand of the market and how it pulls strings uh, here in a little bit. But, but let's talk a little bit first about what is price tanking. Uh, and Chris, I want to get your take. What, what would you consider a good definition of price tanking? Uh, my definition would be most likely the reason I'm on blood pressure medication. <laughs> that's that's my definition. Uh, now, uh, price tanking, um, you know, before Amazon, I had always seen it uh, in relation to stocks, uh, stock price tanking. Um, and it's, a, you know, basically it's a, a, a sudden decline uh, or a failure of uh, the price of something. Um with uh and then sometimes you know tanking you hear you think of sports teams too and that's you know no effort to win it's just a you know it's a steep decline um with with very little uh (laughs) resistance to to save itself from from the slide yeah and and so what i like to think of price tanking as is I mean, the price just not being supported by fundamentals, which, you know, is exactly why a stock price would tank or other things. The price is just not supported by the fundamentals. And, and we're going to get into that here in a little bit. I want to talk about the economy of an ASIN and how I how I view the data of an ASIN personally and, and the way that I like to convey it to other people, uh, because I think it makes sense when when we start to realize how there are forces and, and these forces are, I mean, they're they've been around long enough that they're essentially business law uh, and, and you see them work out on listings day in and day out. Uh, But first let's talk a little bit about whether or not price tanking is getting worse. Uh, Chris, I always forget how long have you been on Amazon? Is it you just over a year or has it been a little longer? Uh, Creeping up on three years now. Okay. So three years. Have you, do you think that price tanking has gotten worse over the past three years? Uh, it depends on the day, <laughs> to be honest. I, you know, I try to be, I try to be as realistic as possible. Um, you know, I, I try to kind of pause when I feel myself kind of get an emotional response to something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it could certainly be frustrating. You know, there, there are waves. 
that's how I experience it. It seems to come in waves. You know, there, there are uh, times where it's just product after product. You know, I can't even get it to my prep center before the price tanks, you know, mm-hmm. and, and by the time it's shipped in and, and, you know, I, it hits my repricer, you know, they mark it in stock. The buy box is below my break even already. Um, you know, and enough of those in a row or enough of those in a, in a batch of products that you bought and, you know, my blood starts to boil, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'll need to get the tinfoil hats out and I start, you know, going all conspiracy about it and, you know, I'll, I'll rant and rave, but, uh, it's always kind of been that way. You know, I, I mean, it, you have to, if you look at it close enough, most of the time you can kind of reason why something might've tanked, you know, mm-hmm. um, if something hits a lead list from Walmart or target, um, I don't think you should be surprised, <laughs> you know, if, if, a you know, prices has bottomed out on you. Um, so I, yeah, initially it's upsetting, you know, but if you analyze it, most of the time it, it kind of makes a little bit of sense, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, my timeline's a little bit longer. Uh, I'll say I'll say I've been on Amazon for ten years, seriously. But uh, you know, thirteen years or so, you know, a little less seriously. And so, my timeline, yes, price tanking has absolutely gotten worse. When I when I started selling on Amazon, there were much much fewer sellers. And so you could go into a store and you could buy a lot of things and, you know, 300% ROI was, was just an okay day. You know, uh, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd love that to be the case now, but unfortunately as markets mature, that's just not a, it's not a possibility. Amazon is no longer, uh, no longer the bearded lady at the circus. You know, Amazon is now kind of a, an everyday thing that we use and it's not some, uh, it's not some show we go look at and are interested in and want to buy a book off that thing called the internet. Um, so yes, price tanking has gotten better or has gotten worse over time. However, uh, the opportunity has gotten much, much larger over time as well. And so what I like to think of is if, if you're a savvy business person, and you understand the fundamentals of how a market works, you really do still have quite a bit of an opportunity. Uh, I think there are some, I think there are a lot of reasons that prices tank and, and even though it's gotten worse uh, over time, you know, because there are more people on, on the, the market and there are more people who maybe are not necessarily the most uh, sophisticated business owners. And, and that's fine. I, I'm not saying that as a slam. Uh, I just mean it as, you know, this is a, an opportunity that is, has a much lower barrier to entry than say opening up your own retail shop or opening up a, a handyman business or a franchise or anything like that. And so you're going to have people who want to come on the platform and they maybe don't understand how to pri- reprice. Maybe they don't understand the fees and then there are going to be other people who you have no idea what their cost of goods sold are. Uh, I can't remember who said it. I want to say it's Jeff Bezos, but your margin is my opportunity. And I've heard a few other sellers say that as well, 
they're happy to see the prices go down. They'll go down to break even uh, because they're not looking to make money on any single ASIN. They're looking to make money on a business as a whole. And especially when you get into bigger sellers like PharmaPax, BuyBoxer, uh, you know, some of these very large uh, sellers who have 20, 30, 40,000 different ASINs, they're not looking at the, the ROI and the profit on every single ASIN like you or, my, you or I may do. They're saying, is this business segment profitable or do we need to cut it? Do we need to cut out, you know, grocery or do we need to cut out uh, this particular brand from our business because this line of business is no longer profitable? And as the marketplace matures, we're going to see more and more of that because as a new seller comes on and let's say they stick through it, they embrace that suck, they get to year three, four, five, and, and 10, they start to become a much more savvy business owner rather than just, I'm a reseller. Actually, kind of a pet peeve of mine that we call it, call ourselves resellers. We really are business owners and that's how we should look at things. But that's a another soapbox for another day. Uh, so I think that's kind of what we're seeing. We're seeing these, these fitful teenage years of Amazon and we're seeing businesses becoming more mature and realizing that, okay, well, if I want to be on the biggest marketplace in the world and I'm running a retail operation and my goal is to be a miniature Walmart on Amazon's platform, on eBay, heck on Walmart marketplace, whatever, I now need to do business like they do. I do not need to do business where I have to make money on every single product. Uh, but there, I mean, there are other reasons too. There are, there are people who flip just to be able to pay their credit card back and get the points. And I mean, heck, there are some people who, if you get enough cash back, you could live on that and not have to make any money on your, on your ASINs. And we don't know how many people are out there, you know, doing $100,000 a month in spend or more to be able to get that two, two and a half percent cash back and, and just live on that. So see, you see some pretty big numbers when uh, the, the quarterly racket and payouts uh, uh, end up hitting, you know, exactly some, some big numbers. Yeah. You know, I've seen, I've seen people with 15, $20,000 payouts, uh, you know, and I know that, I know that there are people who get even larger payouts and then that doesn't include any cash back you might get on a credit card. I've got an unlimited 2% cash back credit card. So if I did, uh, what would I have to do? If I did a hundred thousand dollars a month, you know, that's a fair amount of money every single month I could get in cash back. Uh, so now, I don't think that there are enough of those kind of sellers out there to really be a major, uh, be a major thorn in everyone's side, but it is a possibility when you see prices tank. And then the third thing is, is going back to that whole, your margin is my opportunity. We don't know people's cost of goods sold, you know, are, are the people you're going up against and are your competition on an ASIN or on several ASINs? Are they buying gray market goods, number one? Are they buying liquidation? Uh, you know, are they, I, I don't know if, you know, mega couponing is as big of a thing as it used to be, you know, but are there, 
Are their cost of goods essentially zero from a retail store because they know how to take advantage of sales and, and coupons? Uh, so that's one of the other things that's just impossible to know about your competition is what they're getting their, their product cost for. Uh, heck, I, I used to know a guy who I still, I know another guy, their cost of acquisition of their products is zero or better. Uh, they have, they have people pay them to come and get Gaylords of books or boxes of books. And they're like, we'll dispose of your books. We'll make sure they get recycled or whatever. And the stuff that's profitable goes right on Amazon. And the rest of it either goes to uh, a book pulp uh, buyer. I don't, I don't know. I've never messed with them, but I know they're out there. Uh, or they get taken to the local half price bookstore uh, to be sold there. You know, So that's one way that you've essentially, you're making money before you even put it on Amazon. Um, so what are, what are some other causes of price tank? I know we've gone, gone over a few, uh, but reprice your strategy, Chris, what's your repricer strategy? Well, I, I don't really have set guidelines, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, if I had to, <laughs> if I had to make a strategy, it is hang on for dear life to my original settings, you know, and then, and then once, uh, once that number of, uh, manager overstocked ASINs or whatever it says on seller central. Once that number gets a little bit too big, then, you know, I start dropping it down, mm -hmm. you know, but basically I, I kind of do it informally. I'll take a spin through my, my repricer inventory and, you know, kind of monitor the buy box versus what my min is and, and, you know, versus break even. I, I just kind of eyeball it mm -hmm. and uh, I'll sort from newest to oldest and, you know, in stock and, and, you know, sometimes I'll go backwards to the oldest stuff. And, you know, I, I pretty much know, you know, I, I could probably guess within a, a handful of days how long it's been sitting in an Amazon warehouse. So, you know, I, I feel like I have a general idea of, of when it's time to cut bait, mm -hmm. you know, maybe drop it down to, to zero or, or a little bit under and, and move into more of a liquidation strategy. So, but it's nothing, nothing set in stone. You know, I, okay. uh, I don't do any formulas or anything like that. I kind of just eyeball it. Okay. So <clears throat> I have I have some malleable rules. And I know we've talked about malleable rules in, in the past and other episodes, but my personal repricer strategy is I match the buy box and I need to get a minimum of a 15% ROI on my products. Of course, I want more, uh, but my very first rule is I will take as low as a 15% ROI. Now I have a repricer and I know that you do too, where it will reprice back up if possible. And that actually happens quite a lot more than I think people realize. Maybe they're not paying attention uh, or nobody's, I don't know. People tend to complain more publicly than they do like, oh, hey, this is awesome. You know, a good thing happened uh, because, you know, misery loves company and that's okay. It's just the way it is. Uh, but uh, for the first 60 days, that's how I keep my products. 15% ROI is the minimum. I'll take more. I typically cap them, uh, you know, at, I don't know, whatever I think won't get the buy box uh, suppressed is what I'll, what I'll do, or, you know, won't get me a high price error from Amazon. Uh, and I'll cap the top end there. So I, I can't, I can't sell a, you know, a food item for, 
five thousand dollars is never going to happen. But uh, that's how I keep my repricer. And then on day number sixty-one, once that product's been there for sixty days, well, now I go down to I will take a zero percent ROI. Uh, unless, and this is where my malleable comes in, unless the product has tanked far enough where I know that I'm not going to get a 0% ROI. I know that it's going to go below that, and then I will move it into my liquidation strategy, which is a, a 20% loss uh, on a product. Um, and and that's what I, that's what I do. At, at 90 days, it goes into that liquidation strategy where I'll take a 20% loss, more if I absolutely have to, but I really want to keep the bleeding to 20% as much as I can. Now, the reason I bring up repricers is not everyone is going to have that same strategy. Uh, some people like to, rather than match the buy box, some people like to drop it a penny, uh, which really gets people hot under the collar if you ever go read in Facebook groups. <laughs> but then what makes people absolutely go off the deep end is the folks who drop it by a nickel at a time, uh, you know, and they're being really, really aggressive with their repricer strategy. And one of the things that I worry about is people who are moving into repricers, maybe they're too busy to, you know, look at their inventory themselves or whatever. Uh, but if they don't have enough time to learn about it on the front end, are they taking the time to learn how a repricer works and are they setting minimums to begin with? Uh, and I actually think this could be one of the reasons that there is such high turnover. Uh, or maybe part of the reasons is people don't make money because they get in there. Maybe they use the Amazon repricer and don't understand how to set that up or they use a third party repricer and they're not putting any minimums on there thinking, well, I just got a price to get my sales as quickly as possible uh, because they're investing with scared money. And then that tanks a price off of a cliff because when you get when you get a bunch of software competing back and forth against each other, I mean, you know. It's not using any human logic and saying, oh, well, this price is tanking really, really quickly. And only these other two people are coming down with me. So you know what? I need to throttle back for a moment and let them fight it out. And I'll wait for this to recover a little bit. Uh, and, and then more mature sellers, well, they may not have time for that. You know, uh, I mean, between family and sourcing and things like that. I just, I can't, I can't keep track of every single ASIN all the time. So if my repricer were not set properly, I would totally go down that path, but I've taken the time to understand, okay, well, you know, here's what happens and I need to uh, be able to limit this. And then I even have a strategy where the price comes back up in the middle of the night to hopefully bring those folks back to sanity a little bit, or at least bring their software back to sanity and realize, oh, we, there's not so much competition now. Let's slow down on the bleeding a little bit. But again, that may not be something everyone can do. Uh, the other thing is, is that some people are just into moving inventory as fast as, as humanly possible. Uh, I know we've talked about it in the past where I know of a person, I haven't talked to them, uh, but I have it on good authority that their products are set at a 0% ROI minimum from day one. So as soon as it gets to the warehouse, they're willing to not make any money 
and just get their capital back and have their inventory churn as much as possible. And, and this, when I've said this before, it has made people upset and I see you shaking your head. Now, <laughs> if, I know if not. You're, and if that person's listening right now, <laughs> I don't like you. And, and now I know that they're making a profit. They're still in business as far as I know. Uh, so they've got to be making some money there, but they want to, they want to be able to sell half a million dollars a month doing, you know, retail arbitrage and online arbitrage. And so they need capital in their hands as fast as possible. Now, while I don't necessarily care for this particular strategy, I'd much rather them say, you know what, let's give it, let's give it 15 days before we go to a 0% ROI. Uh, I understand their strategy, even though I'm not sure that I agree with it. Uh, but, and I don't know how many people are out there who are willing to do that kind of thing, realizing that, well, maybe 10% of our inventory is going to go to that 0%, but the other 90% we're going to make a profit on, whether that's 5% or 10% ROI, they are going to make a profit on some of it. And, and they're just going to break even on, on the other. Uh, I think they could probably even do a little bit better, but that's their business model. And, I don't. I just don't know how popular that is, or uh, or how often people are using scared money, and they, you know, they buy products on a credit card, and they absolutely have to have it back before the credit card is due. Uh, you know, we can't say, and so that could be uh, that could be another reason, and that kind of ties into the inexperience. Inexperience, I think, plays a huge role. You know. I know that I sometimes miscalculate what I think fees will be on a particular product. Maybe it's because of the size or, or whatever it is. Uh, and, you know, it used to be really easy. You just figure one third for Amazon, one third for me and one third to buy the, the product. And it's not like that anymore. It's become much more complicated. And so if sellers are not spending the time to realize this is how much it costs for me to sell this product, then they're going to have a bad time when they sell their product that needs to sell for 15 to break even, and they're selling it for 10 and they don't realize that there's a loss on it. Um, I don't know. I know you talk to a lot of people too. Have you ever run across someone who doesn't realize what the, what the fee structure is and might've done that? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, through, through conversation and, and, you know, networking, you know, every once in a while, something will come out where, you know, people just misunderstand something, um, you know, or, or the way the way the numbers work um, happens all the time. You know, because you can't we've talked about tribes before and, and you know that different tribes are teaching different methods and, and you know, have different interpretations of concepts, um, you know, and, and not every tribe is, is going to be correct. You know, there, there's I know the one there, there seems to be. People think there's a, a TikTok uh, uh, method being taught out there that this zero percent ROI from day one um, is is being taught. You know how to make millions on Amazon, and and you know you you are the TikTok expert here, so I I, I won't uh, I won't pretend like I know how it works. But you know, the, the, but there are videos of getting in and out as quick as possible, and and you know, and everyone has a horror story. You know, I, I alluded to it before you know, about how, uh, you know, buy box can be, uh, less than my break even by the time, you know, I, my prep center is shipping it in. 
mm-hmm. know, and that's if, if somebody's newer or somebody has limited capital, that's a nightmare scenario. You know, that's uh, there, there's no there's no positive way out of that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you can see the, the the argument that that would be made to, to you know, somebody trying to, to pass out that method, um, you know, or the, the things that that method will avoid, I should say. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, that's even even in the discord, you know, I mean, everyone's um, everyone kind of, uh, um, you know, you, you talk to some people and, and, you know, there are people that have, have misunderstood things or, you know, or just at different points in their journey. And, and I, hey, I'm still learning stuff. Uh, you know, I, I venture to guess that, that you're still learning stuff, too. Absolutely. Um, you know, so that it, sure, there are going to be people that that just kind of, uh, you know, misconstrued something or, or misunderstood something and, and got some numbers wrong. I, I need to I need to spend a little bit more time on on reseller TikTok or Amazon TikTok. I, ha- I don't think I've necessarily come across the people who are teaching, uh, you know, take a zero percent ROI on your products and get in and out as quick as possible. I, I do run across the folks who go in and, you know, take videos of them scanning products in stores and, uh, you know, hey, I can buy this for 10 and I can I can sell it for 30. And that means I make twenty dollars. And and that is where I would I blame those people. Because they're they're willfully not taking into account any of the costs or fees uh, that Amazon has in place for Amazon sellers. Uh, no inbound shipping, no referral fees, no pick and pack fees, no nothing. And they are doing a huge disservice and making it look, while I don't think that getting started on Amazon is the hardest thing in the world, they make it look way too easy uh, and get people to want to jump in before really knowing enough. And I think that is a, that's a, that's a problem. Uh, I don't know how to tackle that problem. People like those kind of videos. They, they gravitate toward that. Oh, this looks super easy. This guy's making a million dollars in sales a year. I can do that. Uh, so I wish that they would be a little bit more forthright. And I am trying to, you know, be a little bit better on, on the TikTok. uh, you know, uh, and and I'm trying to put out some information I don't think that others are necessarily putting out. And it's it's really hard on a platform that rewards 60 second videos. I'll, I'll tell you what, because I'm used to this kind of format where we've got an hour or an hour and 15 minutes where we can really dive deep into a subject. So I, I am learning a lot about TikTok. And it's uh, I won't hold that against you, but, uh, you know, it's not exclusive to TikTok either. You know, I, I mean, you see it on YouTube. You know, if you look up, uh, you know, the one of the the famous troll comments on, you know, some of the eBay uh, uh, gurus on YouTube is projected sales or you see people go to a garage sale and, you know, they'll pick it up for two bucks and then the graphic comes up, you know, bought for two bucks, sell for 20, profit 18. Mm-hmm. Not quite. You know, <laughs> it doesn't quite work that way. I know it makes your numbers look good, you know, but uh, that's not quite how how the data is going to shake out. Exactly. Now, the last one of the last culprits I'd like to I'd like to slam a little bit uh, would be drop shippers. And even those people who are doing Amazon automation and all that kind of stuff. I'll badmouth those people until I'm blue in the face. So one of the one of the upsides of drop shipping is that you've got no holding costs. 
if the product is in stock at Sam's Club or Costco or Walmart or wherever, you can put it on any platform at any price you want. And if you make a penny, it's fine. Heck, even if you break even, you're still going to get cash back if you're drop shipping right. Uh, and and so those guys, they don't have to make any money or they can make very little money. And I think that can be a problem as well. Uh, now, I don't know, you know how much they're selling the same things we are. I know a lot of those folks look at things like tables and chairs and stuff that a lot of Amazon sellers probably aren't going to offer on the platform usually. But there's still plenty of them that, you know, will drop ship things that are smaller and, and more in stock. And they're happy to take very, very small margins. Uh, and I think as Amazon automation gets more and more popular, because if I can just throw a little bit of money at somebody and I've got this turnkey automatic, you know, check printing machine, uh, it doesn't matter whether you make a penny or $5 on a product, as long as you're making some money. So, but the nice thing is, is that eventually Amazon catches those folks and they're gone. Maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years, but they don't stick around long-term. Now, now that we've gone over some causes, we should probably talk a little bit about being proactive and being able to stay away from products that tank. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about the economy of an ASIN or kind of how I view an ASIN. Uh, because I think that I think that there are some rules and some laws that we can keep in the back of our mind as we're reviewing Keepa charts and looking over products to be able to insulate ourselves or hedge our bets a little bit from the downward pressure on price or price tanking uh, before we even buy. Um, and so we can we can talk about that a little bit, but. Uh, I'm curious, kind of what what are your thoughts as as you go in and are looking to make a buying decision? Uh, you know, one of the things that that you recently mentioned, uh, we were talking about uh, some uh, some products that we we were looking over mutually, and you you mentioned historical price, um, and and that really stuck with me, um, and and I kind of rolled that around in my head a lot recently. Um, and it's relevant here, um, you know, because I'm starting to figure out that that right now matters uh, far less to our buying decisions than we realize, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's and I did some reading. Um, Nate McAllister had an article, too, where he he alluded to the same thing. Um, you know, essentially sales rank and often current price. Those are moving targets. You know, so so when you when I research product and, I, and I'm trying to make a buying decision, the, the rank and, and often price is just a snapshot. It's just kind of a, a, a moment in time of, of something that's, that's pretty liquid otherwise. Um, you know, so, you know, and it, like take, for example, if you see something um, that's selling, uh, you know, if it sells for $20, 95% of the time it, while you're looking at the three month keep a window. Um, but the last several days it shot up to 30 bucks. You know, it's not really reasonable to expect that 30 to hold, you know, that's, it might be a, a, an obvious example, but you know, you, you, you still see it sometimes, you know, I'm trying to, uh, uh, train my VAs, you know, they'll, they'll try to give me some leads like that. And I I've had to, I've had to explain to them like, Hey, let's, let's look at the chart here. You know, this doesn't typically sell for this price. You know, this is mm-hmm. the bottom is, is likely going to drop out. 
and uh, you know even even some of the poor quality uh, lead lists that I, I used to be on a long time ago, you know they uh, uh, you know they'll put something on there that that historical price when you look back long enough doesn't it doesn't support that kind of profit and mm-hmm. you certainly shouldn't expect to, to get that profit you know if you end up buying the product. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think those are huge. And so the way I like to think about every single ASIN and I don't know, I one of the things that that I think a lot of people should do is think about products on Amazon that you sell differently. Uh, When I when I talk about inventory, yes, I have inventory, but nothing is I don't know. I'm not attached to anything. Even if I made this, you know, I made this perfect buying decision. I did all the work. I'm not attached to it. Uh, I think of it as it's just a thing. It's just an ASIN. I don't, you know, I don't care about the brand. I don't care about what vertical it's in. I, I could care less if it's pet food or a toy or, or anything. It, to me, it's just an ASIN. And if we can think about it like that, rather than being connected to it, I think it can help us make some better decisions. And if we think about an ASIN as its own little economy, and if you look at a Keepa graph and, and really start studying them, you're going to notice this more and more often. In, in an economy, there are, there are market forces, there are market pressures on price and known as the law of supply and demand. And so what you're going to notice on a lot of products is when the supply goes up and the demand curve does not go up with it, you're going to see downward pressure on price. Matter of fact, I just skipped over a product to sell today where I noticed that the number of sellers went from 10 to 30 within about a two day time period. Now, could that be a lead list? Maybe. Could it be that the product was on sale at every single Walmart in the country? That's possible. Could it be that uh, maybe the Western half of the United States clearanced out those types of products because they're not selling in that particular place? That is possible. Um, But uh, so if that supply does not go up or sorry, if the demand does not go up with the supply, we're going to see downward price pressure. Now, there are times when this doesn't happen. You'll see the supply go up. And one of my favorite examples is old, but uh, the Chewbacca mask, uh, which went viral when the lady wore it in her car on Vine or YouTube or whatever it was. But what we saw there is the number of sellers shot up a ton. It went from maybe 10 sellers to 200 sellers in the course of a day or two because people were going out and looking for them. But what we also saw is we saw a massive increase in the demand. And the demand was so much so that even though the supply was shooting up, the demand was outpacing it. And so we saw upward pressure on the price. Uh, And so it does happen both ways. Uh, You saw this with the Chewbacca mask. You will see this just about every single Q4 with a handful or even a dozen uh, different toys or games or products. And we've seen it happen during COVID with uh, masks and hand sanitizer, although people got in trouble for that kind of stuff. Uh, We're going to see people get in trouble with uh, doing it with formula right now. If if you're listening to this in the future, there's a a baby formula shortage in the country at the moment in 2022. 
Uh, and, and so these kind of things just happen. Now, the cool thing about the supply and demand curves is that they're always trying to come to parity. It's just the way that it works. They're always trying to flatten out. So as you see the supply start dwindling, maybe because the product can't be gotten anymore or people have uh, taken all of the profit out of a product and that supply starts to dwindle, you typically, in the, as long as the demand stays the same, you'll typically see that price come back to what the market is willing to pay for a particular product, uh, which is sometimes why the, the opportunity for these things is to buy and hold until that price comes back to what the market is willing to, to pay. Now, is that first in, last out? Concept that would be that would be the first in last out concept. You don't always have to be the first first in first out. You can be first in last out, uh, and this pays this pays very well for some people. People who do Amazon to Amazon flips are often this way, uh, or they're at least waiting for Amazon to be out of it, and then they will come out of a product as well after uh, the price shoots up because the supply has dwindled. Uh, and, and there's, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. Heck, I, I have gone back and looked at things that I've sold two years ago, and I wish I could still get my hands on them or that I had been like, had treated it more like a long-term investment because there are toys I paid $7 for that people now buy regularly for $125 because they're no longer made, uh, you know, but I don't treat the business that way. Uh, so now as you learn about how that works and you, you figure out, okay, well, as the supply goes up and demand stays the same, the price is probably going to depress a little bit. Uh, what you can do is you can hedge your bets during product selection, during sourcing. You can look back historically and on a lot of products, you'll see the number of sellers or that supply. It goes up and down over time for one reason or another. Maybe it is a lead list. Uh, maybe it is also the fact that there is profit on it. And then when there's a lot of supply, the profit dwindles. And so fewer sellers are looking for it because we are opportunistic. Uh, and that's what we're, you know, we're in there looking for profits. And if there is no profit, we move on. And so then as the supply comes back down, you see that price kind of pair out a little bit. And if what you do is you look back and you say, okay, well, at this point, when there's 30 sellers, I know that the profit is going to be zero or it's going to go negative. I need to realize that I need to be able to buy it so that I can withstand that downward price pressure if it comes back again. Uh, and if it does, I guess, what are my exit strategies? You need to have those up front. You know, if, if you're at a 30% ROI on a product and you're like, you know what, if this gets to 15%, then I'm out. Uh, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so having those plans in place ahead of time uh, are important. And now some other, some other ways to get around price tanking. In my opinion, I think one of the most underrated things, and I, I, I've said this through every single OA challenge. I've said this through, you know, hundreds of times is you need to go wide, not deep. You need to think of selling on Amazon as a mutual fund, not stonks, okay? We're not, we're not pulling a GameStop on any particular product. We're looking for something boring uh, and we're going wide. So 
if you only have 1% of your available capital in any particular ASIN, or maybe two or five or whatever your rule is, well, now you've got a bunch of different eggs that have been laid out there to hatch. Uh, and if one of them, you know, doesn't, well, you've still got these nine others. And chances are, if you're, you know, batting 900, you're going to be able to be profitable long-term. Uh, you can also look for ASINs that have narrow price corridors historically over a long period of time. And this really kind of goes back to the wide and, and not deep strategy. Uh, I think, I think that a lot of people, especially right now, there, there are trends, you know, with Amazon sellers. And one of them right now is replenishables. And I think that, A, they're thought about incorrectly and they're taught incorrectly because, I don't know, everyone thinks, okay, I want a replenishable. So I want to be able to buy 100 units and I need to be able to buy that for the next three to five years. And that's what a replenishable is. And it needs to make $3 in profit and a 30% ROI. But that is not the case. You can replenish items that sell two times a month. You can replenish items that you only sell in the spring and in the fall. Uh, you can replenish items that, you know, sell a thousand times a month. There is no wrong replenishable as long as you can buy it over and over again, whether that is seasonally, whether it's every month, whether you're buying two of them or a thousand of them. Uh, so we need to get this out of our head that we can only go after items where we can buy and sell a hundred or uh, 200 or how many ever every single month, because, and I've done the math on this. If you have something like 135 or 150 different SKUs in stock or ASINs in stock, and those things only sell five times a month and they make you $3 in profit. That's like a six figure business. I mean, that's six figures in profit a year. And all you're doing is managing 150 SKUs. And they're going to have to be replaced and they're going to fall off and things like that. But uh, but it's it doesn't have to be concentrated on five or 10 different SKUs. You can have it out over 150, over 200 or, or whatever that number requires. Uh, so I don't know. I think those are some ways to get around price tanking. Do you have anything that maybe I missed? Yeah, you know, that's a really good point about replenishables, though. Um, another thing that might warrant its own episode. Um, it, it's they become unicorns. Uh, you know, it, it's this this romantic, mythical uh, beast that, uh, you know, hides a, a pot of gold, uh, half leprechaun, half unicorn. Maybe I'm going with, um, you know, it, but it's just and, and I'm willing to bet. And now I'm going to ask I'm going to ask Chris Grant this and I'll ask the audience think in your head what you think the average lifespan of an average replen is and take that number, put it in your head and Chris, give me your answer. I'm willing to bet it's a shorter lifespan than, than what everybody else who has these uh, romantic ideas of replens is. I think that the average lifespan is probably three to six months. There you go. But there are, you know, there are ones out there where uh, there's one replan I've had for two to three years. Uh, sure. Sure. You know, those, those exist, but absolutely. I, you know, I, I think 
I, I think it's a much shorter lifespan than, than people think, you know, there, mm. there's, there, there's this idea uh, that entire businesses, you know, run on, on 99% replens. And, and the, the thing I, that always stuck with me is um, I, th I think it was in, in your initial OA challenge in, in one of the conversations, but you know, the, the, the idea in realizing that everybody is looking you know, and, and or maybe it was, it might even even been on a tactical arbitrage, uh, one of those Tuesday night shows. You have to realize that every single person is looking. You know, you, you're not going to be the first one that finds anything. You know, unless it's private label. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I I just assume, especially, and it kind of uh, there's a a certain degree. You know, depending on the popularity of the store. You know, the the bigger the store, the more other sellers eyeballs are on those products, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, that, that, and the fact that I just assume my store is always getting stalked by somebody, you know, <laughs> those, those are two things that I just, those are some assumptions that I, 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 I just, I think are fact day in, day out as I, mm -hmm. I work on my operation. Um, you know, so, so, and that just lends its, itself to the wide, not deep, and, you know, the, the, the one main strategy, no matter what, even if you have the right idea about re what replenishables are, and what replens uh, can do for you, is you constantly have to be hunting more of them, you know, because it is a finite lifespan. You know, you're mm -hmm. going to lose pretty much all of your replens at, at some point in time on a long enough timeline. You know, so you constantly have to be replacing those and then let that sink in that that, you know, if it, if if the lifespan's only three to six months, you know, th think about what building a portfolio of replens, you know, a catalog of, of, of these products, you know, think about how quickly you'd have to replace them. You know, I, mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, and I think that's a good strategy uh, to, to fight price tanking too. You know, I, I, to simply constantly be looking for new products, you know, whether, whether it's replen or not, just, you know, just constantly be looking for new stuff. Um, I think that's, that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's important. And, and you're right. You're right about your store being stalked all the time. I mean, it, it is, it is happening. If you're selling products that are profitable, you're probably being stalked in some way. As a matter of fact, I saw someone, I can't remember what social media platform it was on, but he was talking specifically to new sellers. And he said, listen, Go out to Amazon, look for a product that is sold by Walmart, like a Walmart brand, and look at the sellers who are selling that and go stalk their storefronts and see what other items from Walmart you can get. And those kinds of products that you will see the price tank. So another way to insulate yourself from being a victim of prices tanking is to make the gates higher to jump over uh, for the products that you source. And what I mean by this is there are, there are certain stores that are harder to source from. Uh, and I, I won't say any here publicly, just so that, you know, after we get a couple hundred listeners or whatever, and not everyone goes out and tries to get to them, but there are some stores where you can't really source anything profitably unless you pay uh, a fairly high monthly fee to them. And I'm talking $99 or even more. There are a couple sites I know where they 
charge a monthly fee that's more than that. Now you get free shipping and uh, and sometimes you can get you know net 90 terms from some from some of these online sites. However, how many people do you think are going to put out a hundred dollars a month just to have the privilege of being able to source at a particular store? Probably not a ton of them. Uh, so the the harder it is to source a product, the more you can insulate yourself from uh, you know prices tanking. And and those products are out there. They're harder to find. They take more work, but they are available and you can find them, you know, with some searching around. Uh, now I know that we're, we're going to end up going really long on this and we've got a ton of questions from discord slash Facebook, uh, that I kind of want to go through and, and might maybe take some quick hits on, on these, uh, both of us give our opinions. Um, so I'll read them off. Let's get your opinion. And then I'll, I'll go after you and, uh, and offer my opinion as well. So first question, uh, and I was going to, you know, put names down and, and, you know, give some shout outs, but I, I decided I didn't ask permission for anybody, so I probably shouldn't do that. So first question is, is I always hope that price drops are temporary rather than fundamental shifting. What do you analyze to give you clues to hold the price or this ASIN looks to be in trouble and you should get out? Well, I, I think it's important to analyze, uh, number one where you found the product. I think that's going to depend uh, on your strategy moving forward, uh, whether it was a lead list or whether it was your own TA search or, you know, manual sourcing through Keepa. Um, I think each one of those could have a different strategy, um, you know, based on or, or different length of time, you know, that, that the, the price drop's going to last. Um, and then, um, I think the store is, is the other, the other factor that's going to determine, you know, if it's, again, if it's Walmart or target, I'm going to cut bait on those faster, sooner, uh, than, you know, maybe a, a more obscure store, or if mm -hmm. it's, you know, if it's a local chain, you know, that, that there are only five locations around me, some discount store, I I'm willing to wait that out. Cause that, I know that's a, that's a limited, um, you know, there are limited eyeballs on it. So, you know, maybe, maybe a chain also picked it up. You know, I, you know, I know these close their nationwide closeout stores or, you know, or, or closeout uh, uh, retail shops that, that are in multiple States. So, you know, maybe they got it, you know, a few hundred truckloads of them. Uh, but that's, but I'm willing to wait a little bit longer in that scenario. Mm -hmm. It's typically closeout stores are getting things that may not come back in stock ever. And so right. waiting it out just, just makes a lot of sense. So, and I agree with you on, on all those points. Uh, where you get it is something you should absolutely analyze. Uh, I think you should analyze the historical price because typically things want to come back to parity as, you know, the number of sellers come down and the supply comes down. Uh, and I think a lot of stuff comes back. Uh, we're in kind of a weird space right now. I think as we're recording this, I think that margins are, you know, a little bit slimmer right now because, uh, you know, we've got some inflationary pressure in the economy. And I don't think that's quite catching up to sellers prices on Amazon quite yet. I think a, a lot of folks are still willing to uh, cut their returns a little bit to to make sales, uh, even though I, I've noticed prices going up from 
regular retailers, you know, all over the place as I source. And if you compare prices to like last year and the year before, you're seeing prices go up, you know, 15% or so on, on particular products. Uh, but looking at what happens historically to the price would be one thing. The other thing is how long I've had it. Uh, I, I always try to come back. Like right now, we're looking at, we're going through our old lead lists uh, from April of 2021. That's currently where we're at. Uh, and what you'll notice is that a lot of these products become profitable again when people forget about them. And then eventually, you know, as the profit goes up, you're going to see just kind of that whole roller coaster happen again. So if that happens on a consistent basis, that's one thing. Uh, it's not very often where a price just tanks uh, forever unless that price tanking was done uh, for a good reason. And I think we'll talk here in a few minutes about uh, tanking the price to get a better fee structure and things like that, because those are actually some things that you could could possibly do uh, to to actually make more sales and even more money in some cases. Uh, so, yeah. Next question is, I'd like to know a general rule of thumb for deciding to liquidate or hold. Uh, Got to know when to hold them, when to fold them and when to walk away. Uh, Chris, what's your general rule of thumb for liquidating or holding, I guess? Yeah, I'm not going to look to to liquidate, you know, until something reaches similar to you. Uh, you know, it's not a set rule uh, that I go by, but, you know, if I if I'm if I've crossed the 90 day point, uh, then it's time to, to get that capital back um, mm -hmm. virtually, no matter what the ROI is. You know, I have very, very few items that that have crossed 90 days. So even though I don't have things set in stone, you know, I, I uh, you know, it's uh, it's a general rule as I'm, I'm doing my weekly review of, of my repricer. Yeah. I, and I agree with that. It, one, I wish that I could say, hey, here's the rule that you need to put in your business. But it, it depends for it depends for every person's situation. Uh, I know how much capital I have and how much capital I have deployed at any particular moment. Uh, and if I were if I were illiquid, then my rules would be a little bit tighter. And maybe I would say, okay, well, you know what? At 30 days, I need to liquidate because I need capital moving as quickly as possible. If you're a little bit more liquid and you have some money to play with or you've got the credit card game down or, or whatever it is, then maybe it's a, you know what? I'm, I'm going to drop to 0% at 60 days and then at 90 days, I'm going to start thinking about liquidating. Uh, I would absolutely liquidate if you've got anything that's coming up on long-term storage fees. I, I think it's a horrible idea to pay those. Or if you've had something that maybe isn't going to quite get long-term storage fees, but we're coming into Q4 and it hasn't sold, you know, from, I don't know, say June until, you know, October. Well, in Q4, we've got much, much higher monthly storage fees. And I would start liquidating those items as well. If they're not going to sell, you got to get out of them. Uh, but I would also I'd take a hard look at your business, how your capital moves, you know, in and out. I mean, this is a this is a cash flow business, uh, and then make your your rules according to how your cash flow works 
and then give yourself a little bit of wiggle room, you know, have those malleable rules in place. Uh, next question is in 2021 and 2022, we noticed many of the listings had massive unprecedented spikes in sellers resulting in prices tanking. Uh, how long should you hold out before dropping your price? So this kind of goes back to, uh, to the question we just answered. And I think we, we kind of went over that, but, uh, they saw massive unprecedented spikes in the number of sellers. What, what's your opinion there? Are, are you seeing that on any listings? Uh, or is this maybe just kind of a feeling for some folks? Yeah, uh, you see it. Like I said, you know, I, I go through waves um, and sometimes I, I'm just confounded. You know, the I've even posted in the discord, you know, the just certain keep a charts where, you know, you look out three months and it's selling at the, the same price within five cents. You know, like if it's twenty nine ninety nine or twenty nine ninety five, it's just moving in that five cent window for three months. And then some Yahoo jumps in at eighteen ninety five for no reason <laughs> that I can think of, at least, you know, and, and then anybody who has a, you know, a, a, a loose repricer is, is going to follow them down mm-hmm. or, or at least go down to their minimum. And it, and it just it just makes no sense. You know, it, it's just why wouldn't that person, regardless of, of the cost of goods, why wouldn't you just get in line? You know, I, I think what's going by the wayside is is uh, the facts the fact that the buy box rotates, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think that that phrase isn't taught enough or, or you know, uh, it's getting drowned out by, uh, by the turnover. And, and, you know, I wonder how much of this has to do with, with IPIs, you know, I did, cause there was a while there, you know, before they, before they dropped it to 400 uh, before putting the, uh, the storage limits on, you know, there was, and I know my IPI, dropped every single week for over a year um mm-hmm. like luckily i was i was in the mid 600s or so when it started so i never i never got worried but i, I started looking out long term and and goes okay well you know maybe q4 of 2022 i might be getting into a dangerous area um but i've actually finally for the first time i've actually picked up a couple points in my ipi um, nice consecutively yeah so so I'm, I'm starting to wonder if maybe there was just a recalibration you know if, they, if just simply amazon going from 450 down to 400 you know maybe there was a a, a whole lot of sellers that that sunk a little bit to mm-hmm. you know as part of the recalibrating um that's completely uh, speculation but uh i wouldn't be surprised i i think that i think ipi does play a factor amazon knows they want a couple of things. The reason Amazon has a marketplace is because they want to be the everything store for the customer. And they also know that customers are price sensitive. And one way to get people to sell things cheaper would be to incentivize them to sell them faster. And, and that's, you know, and IPI, it was done for other reasons too. They, they didn't have enough storage space and there were too many sellers who their whole business model was we send in everything. And if it sits for three years, we don't care because our cost of goods were so low that we'll let Amazon store it forever at a penny a month or whatever it was. And they had to get rid of that to free up some space. Uh, So 
I think that's absolutely. Now, what could have caused that massive, unprecedented spike in the number of sellers? Uh, a couple of things. One, we do this. It has been, I want to say the year of the side hustle, but it's been the last couple years of the side hustle. Uh, everyone, everyone wants a side hustle or has a side hustle. And Amazon is one of those ones that is a little bit easier to get into. Uh, so you're going to see new faces. People like us like to make content about it. I, I'm, I'm passionate about selling on Amazon for that reason. It's, it's not something that requires a, you know, a business degree. It's not something that requires a ton of startup capital. And so it helps the people who do need to make a little bit of extra income and maybe don't have 10 or 15 or 25 or $50,000 to start a business. Uh, and so you're going to see those those people come in on, on listings. Now, the other thing is, is that I would go back to looking at where you sourced it. Are those those products that have an influx of sellers, what is the common denominator across those products? I have a hard time in my mind thinking, okay, well, those products were bought from a bunch of different sources that are all really difficult to source from uh, you know they're probably walmart target big lots and you know a few of maybe kohl's places that people know and think about when they're like i'm gonna go shop online and if that's the case that could be the problem uh, you just need to build yourself a larger moat which you know sounds tough but you can do things like bundles like multi-packs you can uh, you know, look for slower seller listing or slower selling listings uh, and maybe only sell 10 a month instead of 50 a month and fewer people are going to hop on those. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we've kind of answered that question. Ah, so this person is curious, what do you think the correlation with price tanking is and things like products coming out on a lead list? Are lead lists a considerable factor in price tanking across many items? I'll let you go first and then I'll hop on my soapbox. <laughs> I, I say absolutely, yes. Um, that, that's my first thought when I see the spike in sellers. Um, in my head, the very first thing is, oh, it hit a lead list. Um, so, and, and, <laughs> We not naming any names. They, every lead list company has a different idea of what the proper maximum amount of sellers should be. <laughs> if if it slips out of your mouth, I'm just going to bleep it at, in in post. Yes, edit. Yeah, get the edit button ready. Um, you know, I, I I'm not saying I know what the right answer is, um, but I know I know what some wrong answers are, uh, and there are plenty of lead lists that that. I think have, have too many members, um, mm -hmm. on a list. Uh, but you know, you know, the good thing <laughs> about lead list, the best thing about lead list might be three to six months after that list was published. Um, you know, I, I think that's, uh, that's one of the main ways to combat price tanking in general is, uh, what I've found with lead list is the people who buy from lead list don't have robust uh, databases and they, they don't farm them after the fact very well. 
Um, and, and that's something that I've taken advantage of before um, mm-hmm. and, and has been very lucrative. You know, think about it this way. There, there's a reason that a whole lot of lead lists now have added a section for replens, you know, and, and they define those as products that have been on an old lead list and that are still profitable. Yeah. So they've kind of, they've added that as a feature to their list. Um, When in reality, those are leads that if you had a proper system in place, you know, a proper way to kind of mine or farm your your own database of the leads that you've already paid for, um, you probably should have found those already, you know, And, and if you didn't find it, you know, maybe it might be a good idea to kind of analyze uh, you know, your collection of data, you know, cause I, there are plenty of lead lists and, and, you know, or Q4 groups that I've joined and paid for that. I basically have no intention of buying in that quarter. You know, I, I've always found value in simply accumulating leads, mm-hmm. you know, because, because I know down the road, you know, th- there's going to be a, a, a worthwhile percentage of these leads that are going to be profitable and, far less competitive when I look at them again a second time. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Chris, can we take a quick break for just one second? Yeah. Go lay down. Okay. Sorry about that. No problem. So here's what I think about lead list being a considerable factor. Uh, And I know it's, it's super easy to point the finger. We can point the finger at newbies. We can point the finger at lead list. We can point the finger at whatever it is. And I agree with your point that there are good lead lists and there are lead lists that probably could restructure things a little bit. Uh, say it said in his uh, most political tone. It's so uh, diplomatic. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, but I don't necessarily fault the lead list. And here's why. Lead lists are something that the market absolutely wants. And the reason I know this is that every time a good lead list or even a lead list that is just good enough pops up, they typically fill up. And as long as their, as long as their um, leads don't, don't all suck and they're horrible, then they stay in business and they stay full for a considerable length of time, years and years and years. And so these folks are providing a service that the market obviously wants. Uh, and they're, you know, and they're upfront and, you know, this is the kind of leads we're going to give and, and all of that stuff. Now, here's where I think the problem comes in. Anybody who is just buying off the lead list, you're using the lead list wrong. And so unfortunately, the blame lies with you. Uh, and 
again, I, I, I try to say that in the nicest way possible uh, because after this, hopefully you'll do things a little bit differently. So can you source from a lead list? Yes, absolutely. If I source from a fresh lead list, I typically go for the highest profit items that I know are going to have some price depression and I'm going to need to be able to get out or I'm going to need to wait out the other sellers. And I then have to realize, well, if it's on this lead list, it very well may show up on their lead list and their lead list because people who create lead lists are typically pretty good at sourcing and there's multiple lead lists out there. And when you've got people who are good at it, well, things will overlap, maybe not in the same day, but very possibly in the same week. Um, especially if it's a popular store or a popular sale, that's going to happen. So here is the better way to use a lead list. Number one, it goes into a database so that you can look at it 30, 60, 90 days down the road, a year down the road. Like I said, we're looking at Aprils of 2021 right now and going through those. And you're going to be surprised how many of those are profitable once again, and people are not coming back to them. Even the lead list providers may not be coming back to them for one reason or another. Uh, and maybe it's because it doesn't fit their ROI, but it will fit mine. I don't necessarily have to make a, a solid 30% ROI. I, I can take less uh, if I think that it will sell through quick enough. The second way to use a lead list is by using it as a rabbit trailhead. What I mean by that is, okay, this lead is a grocery lead from Target. And well, what should I think about next? Number one, what are the ancillary products around that? If let's say it's macaroni, let's say it's SpongeBob shaped macaroni and cheese. Well, is there Paw Patrol shaped macaroni and cheese? Is there Paw Patrol shaped macaroni and cheese in multi-packs? Has anyone taken Paw Patrol and SpongeBob and put them together and could I sell those? And what else? Uh, well, that's yellow mac and cheese. Well, what about white cheddar? And what about uh, all these other brands? So I can start going down these rabbit trails. And those rabbit trails lead to other rabbit trails because if people are buying boxed mac and cheese, what are they also buying? They're buying bagged flavored rice and they're buying uh, bagged mashed potatoes. Matter of fact, in Q4, one of the best leads I shared was a bundle of mashed potatoes. It, had, it was like a $25 profit on this 10 pack of mashed potatoes. It was insane. And people were buying it like crazy for the holidays. So your lead list should be a place to start from, whether it takes you to uh, a niche that you weren't familiar with before, or maybe it makes you think about a certain product in different ways, or maybe it takes you to a sale. If there is a 20% off sale happening at Walgreens and, and a product pops up on a lead list, well, I'm probably not going to buy that product. But if it's on all of, I don't know, face creams, well, there's probably four or five other face creams in that sale that have not shown up on the lead list for one reason or another. And I could go after those. Okay. So that's really what you need to be doing with a lead list. And I know that that feels like, well, I could just do that myself. Well, but do you have the time to find every single sale that's going on? And do you, are you in the mindset to be thinking like that already? You know, you allow someone to essentially throw a dart for you, pick a niche 
And then now you can start going down and okay, well, I'm not going to sell this soap, but I see this bundle over here of two different flavors of soap. And I see this multi-pack of these flavors of soap and I'm going to sell those rather than this product. And was soap even on your, I mean, I don't know how often you think about soap, but I don't think about soap very often. Uh, it's usually so, other people in the checkout line of Walmart that I think about soap the most. Right. So, <laughs> so but you know, it, lead list, it, a lead list, it, if you look at it like a virtual shelf, essentially, you know, it, it's, you know, sometimes if, if you're running short on time and, you know, you just want to buy a couple things, you kind of roll the dice a little bit and you're just, you're at the mercy of, of what was on that lead list. And you're at the mercy of what the other 20, 30 people who are also looking, you're at their mercy too, depending on, on what their strategies and what their philosophies are. But if you, if you look at it more, if you go into a store, you know, you're not necessarily, you probably shouldn't just scan the one product that might have a sales sticker on the shelf. You know, you're probably, you're probably going to look at different flavors of whatever it is you're looking at, or, and then you're going to start looking at different brands. And that's essentially what you're doing. You know what you're explaining with, with the rabbit trails, you know, that's think of it, how you would scan a, a retail store, mm -hmm. you know, look at, look at your lead list that way, you know, and, and I, man, I hate that argument of, of I could do this myself. That That's, that's such an empty sentiment. You know, it, it just, because how many times are we talking about, you know, all these companies exist, you know, like, like lead list help you. It's about data. And then, you know, think about all the companies that will do your reimbursements for you and whatnot, mm -hmm. or people that hire VAs to do these admin tasks. The point is not doing it all yourself, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it, it becomes more important what you do with this stuff that you're paying for with, you know, the, the extra, the bells and the whistles, whether it be lead list VAs or, or, you know, reimbursement companies and whatnot. It's, you know, the people that say, well, I can, you know, it, it's like paying for, uh, you know, coaching or, or whatnot, like just watch YouTube videos. Ah, oh, I despise that comment. You know, like, you know, you know, the one good example that I always go to is, is around new years when, when people start posting check-ins at the gym, Yep. You know, there are always those people that are like, yeah, yeah, we don't need to see that you're at the gym. It's like, you know what? Maybe that person is is getting something from posting it. You know, I mean, number one, you're putting it out in public. So you've now created some sort of uh, accountability for yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe it's you're creating a memory that's going to pop up one year, two years annually. Uh, you know, so it's going to remind yourself it could have a long term benefit. You know, it's you know, people are quick to to dismiss. Uh, you know, convenience and, and uh, you know, ultimately it, it boils down to the data, you know, everything, the real value is in the data, you know, especially mm -hmm. with lead lists, you know, it, it, it may not be the most valuable right now, the day it was released, but it, it certainly continues to have value down the road. Yeah. You make a, you make a point there that I think is really, really solid. And maybe we talk about this for a whole episode once, but in the hustle culture, I don't think enough time is spent on the power of buying your time back. And, and that's what a, I mean, honestly, that's why I got into this business. Now I, I work, a, I work a ton, but uh, I only work on the things I really want to because I buy my time back in other ways. I, I use lead lists, 
even though I'm fully capable of sourcing myself. Uh, you know, right. I use a repricer, even though I'm fully capable of repricing, just nowhere near as fast. And it's not something that I want to do. I don't want to have my phone. I want to, I want my phone in my face scrolling TikTok or Instagram, not checking prices on, on Amazon all the time and making sure that I'm get near the buy box. Uh, right. you know, it's why I have somebody mow the lawn and clean the house. It, it is okay to buy your time back to either create more income or do something that you enjoy, like spend time with your family or go hit, you know, go hit the range or the, or the golf course, uh, right. which are things that people t- should do more often. Um, now we're running, we're running a little long on this one. So I've got a cup, co- I've got a couple more of these questions I want to go over, but, uh, one of the other, one of the big questions I got that I thought was most interesting is what are some ways that I could actually use price tanking to my advantage? I'll let you go first. Oh, how do you use it to your advantage? Um, well, you know, I think there's there's room, you know, depending on the volume of, of people that have jumped on, assuming that the price tanking has a, the piggyback of a bunch of sellers jumping on it. Um, you know, I think there's an opportunity on the back end as they jump off. Um, even even in that window, even when it, it when the amount of sellers has spiked and the price has tanked, you know, I think there's money in the if you're willing to wait it out. Uh, I think there's still, you know, because I, I kind of wrestled with the, you know, that first in, last out. You either want to be first in or last out. And those are the two ends that make the money. And, and I was, I was kind of wondering if last outs was still profitable. Um, but I, I think it is. You know, I think there's still an opportunity there. And then we also alluded to way last out, you know, going back to it uh, down the road, you know, months later. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, a little bit of patience, you know, just just not not getting emotional, not falling in love with with, you know, an item that you found or, or you know, not falling in love with the numbers that you saw when you bought it uh, is, is really important. I agree there. So I think there are three ways that we can use price tanking to uh, to our benefit rather than our detriment. And number one is. And this may be one that people don't think about quite often, but it's the opposite of what causes prices to tank. Uh, but and and a lot of people don't come across these listings very often, but there are listings on Amazon that don't really move very much anymore. And if you study those listings, what you're going to notice a lot of times, even if it's something that's fairly easy to find or or whatever, it may have a really high rank and that just keep sellers from looking because they're not looking in the nooks and crannies. And so what you'll find if you look hard enough is you're going to find a lot of products that are priced too high. They're priced above what the market will buy them for. And this is often because of software. Someone doesn't have a repricer set properly, or this is a product that they're drop shipping and they want to make, you know, a hundred dollars on it. And, and that's just not possible. So I've actually found actually last week, I sent three products like this to my prep center. They were all priced way, way too high. The market just will not bear that particular price. And I, I want to say these are all these are all makeup products. Uh, 
Uh, and I want to say that they are all priced around $75 or $80 when normally they sell around $35 to $45. So I am going to tank the prices. I am going to bring the prices back to what the market has historically bared. Uh, the supply is going to increase by one seller. And I'm going to get in and out of those products probably before anyone else sees them because they're not looking for this high of a rank. Uh, and, and I know that these products are sold. The only reason I know that they'll sell is because I've done this before. Uh, I've seen this play out over and over again where a product just gets way out of whack with the fundamentals. And when we can bring it back, then it will be something that sells. And, and there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, Amazon is actually going to put it on like one of its deals pages. It'll say, hey, this, this product dropped 50% in price. Well, there's a place to see those kind of things. Uh, number two, people are going to have alerts set up in Honey and even consumers use Keepa. It's not just a seller tool uh, or Camel, 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 which is another outdated tool that some people will use. Uh, and then there are deal sites and they're going to catch wind of these. And they're going to say, oh, this product dropped X percent, uh, you know, go buy it. And there's people, some people who just get notifications and uh, heck, even Amazon started push notifications on your phone if you've gotten those annoying things from them, uh, from their app. So, so I'll be in and out of those before anybody else gets on them. Now, might some other people find them when it starts to sell again and th that rank comes back down? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe I'll have the opportunity to replenish them two or three times. But if I don't, that's okay. I know that I can wait those people out. They'll forget about it. And then the cycle will start over again. And I can bring those products back to, to reality. Uh, the other way that you can use price tanking to your uh, benefit rather than your detriment is small and light. There are products out there that you can bring down the price by a dollar that are already cheap. They're probably $12 or, you know, somewhere around there. And maybe they would actually make you more money at the $10 price range in the small and light program. Uh, and you can go look up small and light and figure that all out. We won't talk about it here. Although I think we've got a good guest for small and light we'll bring on. Um, but that's one way where you could actually, you could sell more by bringing the price down of probably an already popular product. And because of the way that Amazon favors those kinds of products and have lowered the fee structure, you can oftentimes make more money. So that's, that's the other way that you can, use price tanking to, to your benefit. And the third way would actually be to look for prices tanking uh, that don't historically hold up. And so this would be Amazon to Amazon flips. This is what we're doing with an Amazon to Amazon flip is you're taking, uh, when Amazon tanks the price, they come back in stock and either they don't need to, maybe they don't need to make any profit on that particular ASIN, uh, or maybe they just have historically priced it that way. And that's just, you know, the glitch that it gets instead of them being able to make more is you can buy those products and then flip them back onto Amazon, uh, either on the same listing when Amazon's out of stock, or you could find a listing that is selling for more. That's, that's another one of the things people don't look at. I think as often as they should is there can often be two or three or even five 
of the exact same listing on Amazon, even though it's not supposed to be. But you could probably make a business out of buying products that Amazon sells for really cheap and flipping them on other listings where Amazon's not on it and it's just selling for more. And maybe it's selling slower, but you still make money. Yeah, they're going to be less sellers on it too. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, uh, the last question I want to talk about is uh, someone was being very, very courteous and they were wondering as a newer seller, how can they liquidate or clear old stock without tanking the price for everybody else? And I love the sentiment, um, but I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to let you go first and, and then I'll get to what I think. As a newer seller, what, do, what, what is a newer, how does that factor into, into the question? I don't think that really factors into the, into the question too much, but they want to liquidate yeah. or clear old stock without tanking the price for everyone else. I don't, I don't know if I have a, a good answer for this. I, you know, I mean, sometimes you just have to take your L, you know, I, I mean, that's, you know, I, I posted that meme before, you know, I, I, I had some great sales days where about half the items I sold, sold for negative 10% ROI. Cause I, I was clearing stuff out, you know, it's like, I'm not sure what I was so happy about when I saw my sales numbers. It's like, you know, look, look at all this negative 10% ROI I'm making, you know, but uh, you know, you need to, you need the capital back. There are certain situations where you simply need as much capital back as you can get, you know, or mm -hmm. you're, you're avoiding storage fees, the, multiple valid reasons to take the L. Um, you know, there's it, we talked about the Pareto principle, you know, it, a certain percentage of your buys are just going to be dogs. You know, they just didn't pan out. You have to accept that and you have to swallow a pill, that pill, you know, periodically, you're never, you're never not going to, you know, <laughs> there's, there's always going to be something that, that just doesn't pan out. Um, you know, so it's, it, it's tough, you know, like we talked about with the other stuff, you know, when, when you know, repricing strategies, you know, a lot of it depends on personal situations. You know, if, if capital's tight for you, maybe that's what, you know, the new seller part of this has to do. You know, most, mm -hmm. most new sellers have, have limited capital. So, you know, just get your, do what you have to do to get your capital back. You know, it, it's, you're not, you know, you can't consider other sellers. I, I think that's probably a mistake. Um, other sellers aren't considering you, <laughs> you know, yep. that's, uh, you know, the people on TikTok with, with, you know, 0% ROI from day one, they're not considering you or us, any of us, um, you know, you're in business to, you know, hopefully make a profit. But, you know, like I said, if, if it's time to get rid of it and cut bait, just do it. You know, prices, prices rebound more often mm -hmm. than you realize. And, and you know, I, I hope I hope you're, you're still looking at that ace and down the road as a newer seller, you know, because that means you're you're monitoring um, the products that that you bought before, you know, properly. You know, you should be looking. And, and if you do look, you'll see it bounce back and maybe jump back in at that time. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail right on the head. While I appreciate uh, the courtesy of this kind of question, you've got to put food on your table. You're not putting food on my table. And so, you know, if you've got to get that money back, you got to get that money back. And you, 
you know, as much as I, I love the Amazon community and I want every single person in the Amazon community to make money. Uh, the thing is, is sometimes you do, you, you have to cut bait and you can't worry about some other seller being mad at you. If they are, well, they'll scratch their bad place and get glad again once you're off the listing and your your inventory is liquidated and maybe they can hold out for a, a higher price for a little bit longer. Uh, so yeah, you just you just gotta just gotta swallow that bitter pill, like Chris said. Uh, and I, there was a second part to that question I didn't get to. Like I, I don't have enough stock to create a coupon. Well, that's actually that's not a thing. You can you can do a coupon with with one in stock. So if you want to try to do a coupon instead of cutting your price, which is really just the same thing, uh, you know, you could try that. It, it does help. The little little green coupon sticker does tend to get people to buy uh, on things. I've tested it out uh, and it works. So, you know, go ahead and do it. It's easy to do. It doesn't cost very much. And so uh, try it out before liquidating if you want to be kind to other sellers. But in the end, you need to worry about your own pocketbook and not anybody else's. Um, yeah, I think I think that's it. Let's. Uh, there's a couple of quotes of the week this week. I, I came up with with two. Uh, the The first one I thought was very apropos. Uh, scared money don't make money. And as I was doing the research into that particular quote, I could not. Uh, nailed down whether that should be attributed to the United States football coach uh, in the NFL, Billy Napier, or rapper Moneybag Yo. Uh, I'm not. Oh. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, my money's on Moneybag personally. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't see the the football coach. That's that's tough to imagine what the context was if that was him. Yeah, doesn't make a lot of sense. But uh, the other one is actually one I shared in. Uh, in our VIP group, uh, which I really like this one, is the two most powerful warriors are patience and time. And that's from Leo Tolstoy. Uh, and got a guy has a great daily reader uh, with quotes from Leo Tolstoy. He, he really just collected quotes from all over the place and put them into a book. Uh, but one of the really, one of the takeaways of this particular quote and why I think it's so powerful is I see as I'm trying to copy uh, or not copy as I, as I'm trying to learn more about TikTok and uh, and copy the things that work from people who are on TikTok and social media and trying to put out some really good information on those social media platforms uh, is that a lot of these folks don't talk about having patience and taking time uh, and business. Amazon business or any other business, that is really one of the key things I think you need uh, because there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be problems. There's going to be a learning curve. And then there's going to be failures from that learning curve uh, where you get to learn a little bit more, but unfortunately in a bit of a bitter way. Uh, and you need the patience to kind of get through all of that. Uh, and then you need time because as you do get better at business, and uh, and you start seeing results. Well, those results are not going to compound on each other unless you you know allow time to to pass. Uh, so I I don't know. I just I really really loved that quote when I found it this week. Yeah, I, I mentioned it before, but I think 
you know, any, any trade or any skill that you're trying to learn, I, I'm convinced there's always a certain set of mistakes that are going to be made, you know, and, and, and it possibly it's different for, for different people, but, but I think each person has their own set of things, you know, that, that have to go wrong and they have to triage and, and learn from, you know, and, and it's, whether it's, it could even be a sport, you know, let's look at golf, you know, most beginners slice, you know, the ball moves from left to right. Um, you know, because I and, wish and that was just a beginner problem. Well, not just, yeah, it's not <laughs> exclusive to, to beginners. It's dumbasses that have been trying to, to play the game for 30 plus years like me, but, um, but you know, it, it, and there's just certain things that you do, you know, you swing it like a baseball and you're going to, you're going to drag it through the zone and that's, what's going to create the spin. That's going to send it off to the right. Or, you know, if you're just picking up basketball, you know, you, you have to, you, you're probably going to fire one, you know, a line drive that hits the front of the rim and comes right back at you and, and breaks your glasses. What do you, you know, you, you have to learn what touch is and, and, you know, how much arc to put on the ball and, and, and then, in business too, you know, especially, you know, when you start getting into something like business where you're potentially um, have some costs involved, you know, and you're putting up some capital, um, you know, that's where it gets dangerous. You know, you, how many stories have you heard of people that, that have a question or, or you know, have a, an emergency in, in one of the social media groups? And it's like, I need help. I bought 5,000 units of, of, such and such from Alibaba and, and, or, or whatever. And, you know, now people have hijacked the listing and, you know, I mean, you've heard it multiple times, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of patience and, and time, you know, just kind of get your reps in, you know, and, and be smart about it. Um, you know, if you're, if you're in the right tribe, again, back to that, you know, you'll have, uh, you know, make sure you network, make sure you talk to people and then, you know, but don't, you know, don't get impatient. Don't, don't take wild swings that, that, uh, might not be prudent for you at, at your point in the journey. Absolutely. Well, Chris, another, another great episode of the bag, man. I appreciate you hanging out. Uh, for those of, for those of you still around listening, please do us a huge solid, uh, like the podcast, wherever you're listening to it on a podcast player on YouTube. Uh, think about subscribing. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, we look at those metrics on a fairly regular basis, and we like to see them moving up and to the right, uh, just like uh, uh, well, just like anybody would. So, Chris, thanks for hanging out again this week, man. I'll see you next week. Good to see you, man. I'll see you.